Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today, we are talking about Minute 11 at the start of week three. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Minute 11 begins with Max joining the chase, and it ends with the Knight Rider driving headlong towards Max. This minute is very driving heavy. Yes. (laughs) But it's not completely devoid of substance because we get another chunk of the Knight Rider's rant. So we start this minute specifically with Max pulling out onto the road and beginning to drive. And we hold on that shot for a solid, I think, 12 or 13 seconds. Almost a full quarter of this minute is devoted to just watching Max drive. Yes. On the road. Yes. Off towards where he'll eventually meet up with the Knight Rider. It's just just yeah. a field, Max driving on the road, nothing else. There's uh, no apparent urgency to him leaving the spot that he's parked. There's no peeling out. There's no dust flying. It's not like he gets onto the road and then you hear the roar of his interceptor as it gets up to top speed. He just pulls onto pavement. Starts going. Yep. I think that speaks to what we talked about on Friday, that he is thoroughly prepared to face the Knight Rider. He's been taking his time and making sure things are in their place so he doesn't have to speed off like we saw Roop and Charlie do. Uh, he can he can take his time and, you know, make sure he's not damaging his vehicle in the process and making sure that he's in the right place and he knows what he wants to do. And that makes for less interesting cinema. <laughs> it's certainly, watching Max join the chase is certainly much less entertaining than watching Roop and Charlie join the chase. Or even watching Goose join the chase. Yes. Because when Roop and Charlie join the race, we get the, the couple in the field getting scared off. We get them fighting over who gets to drive. When Goose joined the chase, he had a bagel or whatever in his mouth as he was rolling over the hood of the car to jump yeah. on his motorcycle and speed away. Like, that 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 has an element of excitement to it. Yes. Of high energy. Yes, but also see what happened to them. Yeah. I I will fully say that what happened to Roop and Charlie is, is justified. I think Goose's crash is just poor luck. I think it is poor luck. Uh, he, he didn't put himself in the best situation, but that stems from way back when he wasn't near his radio and didn't join the chase maybe when he should have. Mm-hmm. From the very beginning, he's been, like we said last week, Friday or Thursday, I don't recall, that the whole time he's been playing catch-up. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he found himself in a situation where... His only realistically safe option was to lay down his own bike. Yeah, and he ended up apparently and, breaking his leg. <laughs> yeah. So we see Max pulling out, joining the chase, facing Knight Rider, 
being very prepared and organized about the whole thing. So Max drives off into the distance and then we cut back to the Knight Rider and we are inside the car with him for the next big chunk of his rant. So he kind of starts it off talking about the fact that the toe cutter knows who he is. Yeah, the way that he said that, it was really subtle, but I got kind of a defensive feeling mm-hmm. about it. Like, like you may not know who I am, but ask the toe cutter, he'll know who I am. Yeah. the These inside shots, we might have mentioned this back in week one when we were talking about the Knight Rider breaking custody, but you can very clearly see in these final shots going back and forth between him and Max that he's still wearing the, the cuff portion yes. of the handcuffs that he was locked up in. But I also noticed his thumbnails were painted. Yeah, like a like some sort of punk. Yeah. Like some sort of <laughs> punk kid being all rebellious. Yep. But, yeah, he refers to Toe Cutter as the Toe Cutter. And he refers to himself as the Knight Rider. And these little articles at the beginning of their names, uh, they're important. It reminds me of an interaction in a video game. So in the video game Dragon Age Inquisition, there's a character named the Iron Bull. He's this big warrior. He's voiced by Freddie Prinze Jr., who does a lot of voice work these days. And there's a line of dialogue where the player character is talking to the Iron Bull. And he says, I like having an article at the front. It makes it sound like I'm not even a person, just a mindless weapon, an implement of destruction. That really works for me. So I imagine with the Knight Rider constantly referring to himself as the Knight Rider. Mm -hmm. He's never really said, you know, I'm Knight Rider. No, I am the Knight Rider. Posturing himself up as more than just a simple man. More than just... A human entity. Yes. I took Knight Rider to be more of a title. That he is the Knight Rider. Um, I found there is a fantastic wiki online. um, Mad Max wiki. I do not know the web address off the top of my head. But if you want to look at it, Mad Max wiki will get you there. Um, That theorized that... Knight Rider was the title, and that he was the person who ran fuel, drugs, or guns, you know, overnight. Makes on sense. On night rides. So they, that's what their theory was, and I kind of like that. They pointed out that this gang, the Toe Cutter gang, they have to make money somehow, and the theory is that that's how they do it, is mm. fuel, drugs, and guns. That makes sense. Yeah. I saw a couple of couple of discussions where it talks about like, what is the Knight Rider's relationship to Toe Cutter. Yes, I did see a bit of that too, and it was very psychological. Very speculative? Yes. Because there are a couple of people that say he might have been second in command. He might have been some sort of partner. Mm-hmm. He may have been part of the gang. He may have just been a, a partner of the gang that they just work with. Because every member of Toe Cutter's gang, they know who the Knight Rider is and they regard the Knight Rider specifically because Toe Cutter reveres the Knight Rider. Yes. As this almost symbol more than a actual person. There's a, a lot of lines coming up in the weeks to come, especially once we actually meet the gang. Yes. Where they, they talk about the Knight Rider as, you know, this person. 
And I have to wonder that that reverence, that treating the Knight Rider like a legend, is did that stem from before Knight Rider was taken into custody? You know, his previous interactions with the gang? Or is that because of what we're seeing now? Because he escaped from custody, killed a cop, went on this epic chase, did did these events that we're watching now solidify that legend and turn him into like this mythical man who did all this great stuff and is to be revered? Before we get into that, we get a quick shot of Max coming to a stop on a stretch of road. This The way that Max is able to drive at his leisured pace to this specific spot that we see him at, where he can intercept the Knight Rider, it raises another a question about geography, that we don't really understand where everybody is in relation to everybody else. Now, granted, we know for a fact, just based on where he starts and where he ends up, we know that Max was ahead of where the chase was headed, and that maybe he was so slow to join the chase because he knew that he was on the other side of this population center. Yes, I think we do get a sense of how far away he was from mm. everybody else. Back when the chase was first starting up and Rupe and Charlie were just joining in, and it would flash to him fixing up his car, cleaning himself up, putting on his uniform, yada, yada, yada. It did. It made it feel like he was closer by. Yeah. And now we really get a sense of how far away he was. Right. So that also explains, you know, why he has not engaged thus far. And in seeing how Mad Max was able to position himself to his advantage and have a plan... If Goose had been near his radio, that's the sort of thing Goose could have done. Exactly. Not necessarily the same plan, because I don't think it would have been a good plan for a motorcycle, but he could have come up with a plan and positioned himself ahead of time to be in place so that he could actually contribute. Mm -hmm. From that shot of Max on the road, we get back inside the car with Knight Rider, and he continues his rant. So, going back to that idea of the Knight Rider being more than just a man to the other gang members, I feel like their reverence of him might have stemmed from how he treated himself. Because this entire time that he's ranting, he's talking about, specifically in this minute, how he's the chosen one. He's this divine entity that is, you know, striking the the unworthy from the road and you know ro laying down rubber roads and he's hotter than a rolling dice he's he almost is setting him up with setting himself up with his rhetoric to be this not necessarily benevolent messianic figure but more of a vengeful i don't want to say demigod but force of nature and that his boisterousness of building himself up must have had an effect on the other gang members that he associated with. Yes, I definitely recognized the way he spoke about himself. It's very like, it's very biblical sounding. Yes. 
But then everything comes back to the road, mm-hmm. the, you know, the unroadworthy and the rubber road to freedom. And it now occurs to me, did he, did he always talk that way? You know, before this incident and his, what seems to be some, some sort of psychotic episode, you know, when he was back with the gang working with Toe Cutter, did he, did he speak about himself in a similar way then too? Now, we never see that. No. We never We have get... no idea what he was like before this moment. Yeah, we never get a sense of who he was. But I think one thing that's rather telling is the woman that he's riding with mm-hmm. and how devoted she is to him and how she's feeding off of that energy. I feel like she might have been a pre-existing follower of his, someone that was entranced by his energy and his self-written narrative about his nature. Yes. And I feel like he was very convincing, sort of like a Jim Jones or a Charles Manson type Mm -hmm. where he's able to take that manic energy and just unbridled imagination, so to speak, and influence other people with it and have them feed off of that energy to work with him and do things that he wanted to have happen. Yes. Everything that you just said makes me think very specifically of Immortan Joe. Mm. Calling forward. Yeah. Yes. So I wonder, and I, as I was reviewing this minute, I was like, I wonder what a movie, like a prequel, would look like. About Knight Rider, what would we learn? What would we see? I think we would see a lot of parallels to the Morton Joe character. He does the same thing. He he lifts himself up and uses whatever his version of psychosis is to get everyone to follow him passionately. Hmm. I think the the Mad Max movies as a whole often contain cautionary tales about the idea of cult of personality. When you think about the main antagonists in Mad Max movies, you've got Toe Cutter in the first movie, you've got Lord Humongous in The Road Warrior, Mm -hmm. you've got Tina Turner's character in Beyond Thunderdome, and you've got Immortan Joe. And these are all people that rule partially based on physical intimidation, but also based on just this cult of personality that they've been able to cultivate up around themselves. Absolutely. So that their followers are just so devoted to them based on some sort of intangible devotion. No. Some intangible value that they see in this person that that person has inspired in them. Yes. It's interesting that the first example in the Mad Max series that we get of Knight Rider, that was cut short. Mm -hmm. Imagine what would have happened and the storyline that we might have gotten if he had survived. We probably would have gotten a storyline much more similar to the the next movies in the series. Where a specific individual has gathered a group of people, you know, with so much almost seems like blind passion. Mm. They're, they're so into it and I, so willing to do whatever 
their leader is telling them to do. Yeah. So once again, once again, we are seeing the we're seeing it happening. This isn't exactly post-apocalyptic. It's during the apocalypse, and Mad Max isn't exactly mad. We see how he gets there. Yeah. And we're not exactly seeing cult following, but we're seeing the beginnings of it and the potential of it. Yeah. So, one of the things that he says is that he's a spirit of vengeance sent down from on high to strike the unroadworthy. And that specifically got me thinking about who I consider unroadworthy and what I think a spirit of vengeance striking said individuals would be like. And I think the thing that stands out most to me as far as who I consider unroadworthy are probably people who are driving in the fast lane on the highway, but they're not driving faster than the people in the right, travel they're lane. they're not passing. Yeah. Like, you've got the slow lane, the travel lane, and the passing lane. And the people in the passing lane are driving slower than the people in the traveling lane. Those are the kind of people that I would want to see the spirit of vengeance come down <laughs> and strike from the road. Just off the road completely. Please and thank you. I think of driving on the road as a social contract. We have these, well, I was about to say we have these unwritten rules, but they are not unwritten. They are written. <laughs> we have these rules and this this agreement between drivers that I'm going to follow the rules of the road and you can trust me to do that and I'm going to trust you to do the same thing because when one of us doesn't, when either when one of us doesn't follow the rules of the road or one of us doesn't trust the other person to follow the rules of the road, that's when accidents happen. Mm -hmm. Like people who treat yield signs like stop signs. Yes. A yield is not a stop. A yield is... Slow to the point that you can safely enter traffic. It's yes. not stop and wait, even though there's no one there. So the people that I consider to be unroadworthy is anybody who breaks that social contract. Um, I had an incident once where, looking back on it, I would like to think I'm in the right, and I think I was in the right. So I was coming up on a yield, and the, the, the road going straight had right-of-way. They had no signs at all. I was coming on, and I had a yield. So there was a car coming, so I slowed down um, to make sure that I could join the road safely. Well, the other driver, who had no traffic signs at all and had right-of-way, decided to stop in the middle of the road to let me go first. I was already slowing way down, coming to a stop so that she could go. We ended up sitting there looking at each other. Must have been for a good three or four seconds. And finally, I like threw my hands up at her saying, you know, fine, I'll go. And I went. So then it's a couple more turns as I then pull into my driveway. She pulls into my driveway behind me and yells at me for not accepting her kindness in slow in stopping and letting me go and my defense was that i was following the rules of the road and the fact that she didn't follow the rules of the road slowed us both down the kindness that she could have shown me was to just drive normally because i already had a plan 
so that we could both move along safely without being slowed down. And then she called me nasty things, and I just turned and went into the house. <laughs> um, so, so anybody who does not uphold the social contract of driving on the road, they are unroadworthy. Absolutely. And going back to that idea of an unwritten rule, like those people that will drive the speed limit even though the speed limit does not necessarily apply to that area. Like, I understand driving 25 in a residential area, but if you're out in the middle of a field and the speed limit is 25 and there's nothing around to hit, hey, maybe, you know, drive 30. You know, maybe push it a little bit. Yes. You know, have some have some faith in the infrastructure that has been built up around you. But, ah, <laughs> I have to wonder, so we've had this little discussion about what we consider to be unroadworthy. And a lot of what we've talked about has been around safety and increasing the safety of the road and maintaining maintaining that safety so that everybody gets to drive. If we asked Knight Rider what makes a person unroadworthy, what what would he say? Oh, do I'm, you think? I'm willing to bet it would be <laughs> a lot less of what we spoke about and would focus more closely on the sort of person on the road. He probably would consider the person in the pickup truck with the the caravan behind it. Probably consider them unroadworthy. Well, probably, I consider them unroadworthy too. Probably, that was extremely unsafe. Probably what they did. considers probably considers cops unroadworthy because they get in the way of other people. Mm. Probably considers toddlers unroadworthy. Well <laughs> I mean <laughs> They really shouldn't be on the road to begin with. So the three examples that you just gave, I agree with two of them. <laughs> I am not sure how comfortable I am with that. Agreeing with Knight Rider on roadworthiness. Yeah. It does seem to be very much a culture. Oh, absolutely. If you're part of the motorcycle gang, you instantly are roadworthy. Like that, that would be how he would see it. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're not part of that culture, if you're not part of the kind of person that just rides around on a motorcycle all the time in gang formation, then, you know, why are you even on the road? You know, if you're trying to stop someone who's driving at high speed, like, according to him, you'd be betraying the essence of the road. Yes. You know, he's got... He does mention the freedom. The yeah. freedom of a... He's all about laying road. down the rubber road to freedom. Yes. So, so it seems that they... They take that ability to to drive fast and to drive free very seriously. Mm -hmm. The so these rants are intercut with images of Max listening to the radio again. You get a close up of his glasses. You get him tightening his gloves as he's waiting on the road for Night Rider to crest the hill that he's looking at. And as we go back into the pursuit special, we we get to this point where I think. And this is especially where he talks about laying down the rubber road to freedom. It's safe to assume that Knight Rider has gotten to the point where he's he believes he's in the clear. Good point. Yeah, because he's already eliminated the two police officers that are chasing him, and he never even saw Goose. <coughs> like, he heard the call for Gosling 1, but he never saw Gosling 1. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Goose, well, no, he did get on the radio. 
So he, he knows that Goose is there because he heard him on the radio talking to Max. Yep, and he knows that the situation is completely snafued. Yes, but so, but he but Goose was never really part of it. Exactly. Yeah. So I believe at this point he fully believes that because of all the obstacles he's overcome to this point that he is pretty much good to go. That he is escaped to the point where he can start to relax. And we actually see inside the car... That they have started to relax. They do seem quite relaxed. We see a shot from the side of Max's car where we see the Knight Rider cresting the hill. And we get a shot back inside the Pursuit Special. And Knight Rider's girl has just got her head on his shoulder. And they seem to just be driving along. And the fact that there is now this other officer at the end of the road, you know, he kind of has to get himself back into game mode. Yep. You know, he he does that thing where he puts his hand over her face and just pushes her off. You know, that's so obnoxious. It's so, (laughs) I wrote down that it shouldn't be surprising because he's not like a good person. Right. But that's gross anyways, that he would treat her that way. Um, And it also makes me rethink, we had a discussion on Friday about, was it Friday or was it Thursday? I don't recall. About Marmaduke. Right. And whether her name is Marmaduke or if he's referring to the car as, he says, me and my Marmaduke, right? Yeah. Okay. So when you talk about somebody, your companion, in a way that you call them mine, like me and my Rick, that's affectionate. Mm -hmm. It tells people that... That we belong together, that we come as a pair, we go places together. Um, once we see him, the way that he shoves her off of him by her face, I don't, I, I don't think he feels that way about her. Like it, it may just have been a moment of okay, I need to turn back on, I need to face this car that's in front of me. So it may have just been a momentary thing, but there were so many other ways that he could have gotten her off of him besides shoving her face. It just seems a little cold. It seems very cold. So that leads me to think that when he said me and my Marmaduke, he was not talking about his floozy. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll go back to calling her his floozy. <laughs> Although at this point, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. We're only going to see him all... for a few more minutes now. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought that was very gross and i did not like it right so he pushes her off of his shoulder he and he just keeps right on the same road and we see max just hit the gas just start peeling off and i think this is the start of him playing a psychological game with the knight rider he is peeling off and has started speeding down the road straight at knight rider yes and we get a quick shot of knight rider seeing this and then we switch to knight rider's pov of his hands over the steering wheel. And we can see those headlights right in front of us. Yes. Quick note about the POV from Knight Rider. The, what's it called? I had to ask you because I don't know anything about cars. The hood scoop? Yeah. Is blocking a lot of his visibility. Right. How, why, how is that safe? Like, and a police car, like, how I just don't understand. I know that it it scoops more oxygen into the 
into the engine and helps it be more powerful, mm -hmm. right? Okay, so I get that. I get, like, the point of it, that it makes the car run better. Yeah. But the price you pay, that you have this whole section that you cannot see what's going on, like, right in front of you. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a great trade-off. There's safety, and then there's awesome. I know. And yeah. this movie is not about safety. This movie is all about awesome. <laughs> all about awesome. So, yeah. So we get, the, we get to see the outcome of this face-off tomorrow, and then we get to see the final results of it on Wednesday. So tomorrow... Tomorrow is Tuesday, February 14th. It's Valentine's Day. Yes, we were hoping to have something to talk about in the minute that was at least slightly romantic. And we did the math, and there's not. Nope. There's nothing. There's a little bit of interaction between Knight Rider and his floozy, but it's hardly romantic. So, so Hopefully, as you're listening to this, you're surrounded by red hearts and chocolate candies and whatnot because we're certainly not going to have anything romantic going on <laughs> over here so our website is madmaxminute.com you can follow us on twitter at madmaxminute and like us on facebook at facebook.com slash madmaxminute thank you for joining us for mad max minute number 11 we will see you tomorrow motorbikes and leather men take me to the end of the dream Hold on tight, no it's short,